Well, there is a sense in which today and next week, I am going to actually answer every one of those questions without answering every single one of those questions individually. And so today you're here at the right time. Even the dragons one, okay? So uh, that, that one even will be answered. Uh, if you feel like, man, I, I want to go more in depth into this, a couple of resources that I have used for years and then this week, one is by Anglican theologian who is probably the most influential theologian of our era alive, N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. And uh, if you want to, you know, a more intellectual academic treatment, it's, it's amazing. I, I just, I chew on every piece of steak that that book is in the hope that we have. But if you want something a little more story form, uh, take a picture of this cover, and that is All Things New by John Eldridge. Uh, our men's guys who are studying John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, will we'll, uh, we'll recognize John Eldridge, and he, he tells story in such a way that uh, he's, just, he's, a, he's a good communicator and about the fact that the whole question about life after life been, can, be, can be answered in this phrase, and he will create a new heavens and a new earth. Every question. See, right there. Let's pray. Let's have a closing prayer. I just answered all those questions right there. Uh, Every single one of those is answered in that statement, and he unpacks that, all things new. Um, As Kathy said, we're in this series. This is part three of five parts. And really what 1 Corinthians 15 does is it it deals with the past, forgiveness of sin. It deals with the future, what we're going to unpack today, of what you will be like after life. And then also the present, why that impacts how you live, how governments function. Everything is impacted by the answer to the question, is there life after life? Is there accountability? Is there hope? All those things impact how we do life now. And we're going to unpack those two today, future and present. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians 15, 20 is where we're picking up today in this study of 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I would argue that there's not a more exciting word in this chapter than that word first fruits. I'll make that argument, and here's why. It's an Old Testament Hebrew imagery of when the Feast of Harvest came, the first fruits, in other words, the first of the harvest that was taken and bundled, that was to be offered to God as an offering. You don't give God the leftovers, you give him the first fruits. That's the idea of generosity even. Oh, give God your leftovers and your budget. Give him the first fruits. This was always the imagery of faith. And it became, because God says, I want you to give me what is the coming attraction of what's coming. I'm going to give you a harvest that is way beyond the first fruits. And so this imagery is, in, in, if we were writing this today, the first fruits represent what's coming. It's a symbol of what's coming in this old automotive city, Dayton, Ohio, what we would do if we were writing this today is we would, we would say this. We would say, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the prototype of the cars that are coming off the assembly line. So this is the first Corvette. You ought to be excited because you ought to see the Corvettes that are coming. And that's the idea that Jesus post-resurrection, you get a lot of your questions answered. When is, what's life after life? He, he ate, he slept, he had conversation which is so pivotal because, listen, listen, it wasn't, I am alive, believe in me, I'm alive, you know, I'm an embodied, disembodied reality of heaven. No, he, listen, listen, he forgave Peter. 
He forgave, he, he empowered Thomas. He forgave the apostles who had abandoned him. You see, friends, resurrection is going to be us looking at Jesus and he says, see, it was okay, wasn't it? It's okay, I had you. I had you the whole time. And this is where you begin. He is the prototype. What he did after resurrection, you want to read about because it's the prototype of what you'll be. He was himself, but he was different. They didn't recognize him. Isn't that exciting for those of us who have body image issues? And, and you know, I'm just not as handsome as I wish I were. You're going to be yourself, but something different. And by the way, if, if you see me in heaven, I'm going to introduce myself so you know I made it in case I am so unrecognizable that you don't know it's me because some of you have your doubts whether I'm going to be there or not. Uh, I'm going to make sure you know. I'm Charlie McMahon. You see, I'm here too because Jesus is the prototype. Now, we're really going to unpack this, but it answers, except for the dragon question, it answers just about every single one of those questions. Why? It's because of this. The American Christian view of heaven is Platonianism. Platonianism was the belief that the body is evil. It's separate from the spirit. Two digressions from that. One is the body's evil. It doesn't matter what we do with it. Epicureans believe live like you want. Have all the sex with all the people you want. Get as drunk as you want because the body and the spirit are two separate things. And you can see how this impacts Christianity in America. I'm a Christian and I've got a, I've got a kid with seven different people. And I, and I sleep around. But I'm a Christian. That's Platonianism. That's, that's not Christ. That's Platonianism. I do what I want with my body because my body is separate from my soul. I believe in Jesus. Or asceticism is it's so evil it has to be squashed. The body has to be tortured and disciplined and, and just, just all like this torturous existence. Why? Because the body's evil. And you can see how this affects how we believe in the afterlife because the afterlife is an escape from this body. It's an escape from this evil thing called earth, this hellhole called earth. When all you need to know about the truth of what the Bible says about it is this. He is going to bring down a new heaven and a new earth. For those of you who think you're going to escape this place, you're not. He's actually just going to keep you here in a new one. It's a new one. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Free from the devastating, destructive, heavy, self-reductionary reality called sin. Now, this is really powerful because you have never known life without the weight of sin. Whether you knew it or not, the moment you came out of your mama's belly, the reality of a world weighed down by sin's destructiveness was on you. And have you ever felt it? Have you ever felt this weight, something's not right? Something's not right, something's not right. One of my favorite writers of all time is a Catholic writer by the name of Madeline Lingle. She wrote a famous book called A Wrinkle in Time. But her favorite book of mine is Walking on Water, in which she brilliantly shows we were designed to walk on water, but sin weighs us down, and now we can't walk on water anymore. Well, a lot of times when I run, I wear this 20-pound this uh, weighted vest. You know, you ever do that? As if being 61 is not enough punishment. Uh, I had to make it harder. And it's, I know, it's sick, but... The, the, the reality is you've never known life without that weighted vest. You've never known it. You think something's wrong, and it's you. No, it's not. Something's wrong, and it's all of us. And this thing called sin, and there's going to come a day when the, the full effect of his taking sin away is now. We, we, will, we will know even as we are fully known. That's what the scriptures say. 
and we're going to sit down. People say, what, what did he do after the resurrection? He sat down. He had conversation. He had dinner. And Jesus said in Matthew 8, 11, we're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, we're going to, you're going to be you, but you're going to be you without the weighted vest. I don't know if you get excited about that, but I get really excited about that. That's, that's why this hope that is real is a life-changing hope, not the Platonianistic view that America has. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I can't wait to get out of this hellhole called earth. No, he is restoring earth right now, and there's going to come a day when it's fully restored, and you are in Christ, have the promise that you're going to be a part of that new earth with a new body, with a new body. And so Paul begins to delve into this non-Platonistic idea that the integration of our spirits and our bodies into this imperishable reality is something to look forward to. Because the Platonistic idea that we're just going to be disembodied spirits who left that terrible body behind on earth that didn't matter, and we're just going to float in heaven as disembodied spirits. No wonder people go, no, I want to be in hell partying with my friends. Anybody say that? No wonder people say that. It's because I'm not sure I would, I'm not sure that this whole floating over you know, the earth is a disembodied bubble uh, somehow playing harps is really interesting to me. Does anybody else who's not interested in that? Let my people go is what I would say to that. Let my people go. And, and Paul says, no, Jesus is the prototype. And this gets really, really exciting. For since, verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man Look at this. For as an Adam all feel the weighted vest. That's breaking them down. As an Adam all feel that. And for as an Adam all die. We are, anybody here ever go to a class reunion and you go, who are all these old people who are dying? Who are all these old people who are dying? And you find out they're not your teachers. They're actually your classmates. They're the people that you graduated with. Why? Because an Adam all die. And, and, you know, the guy who, you know, wanted to appear younger by putting braces on his false teeth before he went to his class reunion. It doesn't, doesn't matter. You're, you're, gonna, you're dying. You're in a process of experiencing Adam's curse within this thing called the body. So in Christ, all, say it with me, all will be made alive. This is incredible because the Hebrew writers talks about we now have access to the power of an indestructible life. The power of an indestructible life. You're not made of this frail thing called the body that is just, it, it, is, it is infected with Adam's curse and it is decreasing. This body is going to join with an indestructibility that, that joins together to create an imperishable reality someday. And, and I don't know about you, again, I get excited about that because heaven is this thing called life after life is something to look forward to. Why? It's because now you're not just defined by being a son or a daughter of Adam anymore. You're a son or a daughter of the resurrected. That's the truest thing about you. Now look at this. Parallel verse, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, one man, the virus came of sin, Death through sin. This way, death came to all men because all sin. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. Now, look at that. Look at that. Babies are born innocent, but they're born with the effects of sin. Just be around a two-year-old, and you'll know that's true, right? 
as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Now, this is fascinating because now through epigenetics, we literally know this is true. You carry the trauma, the sin of your ancestors. We now know this is literally true. Those of you who were born of African descent, you carry that trauma your ancestors experienced coming over on a slave ship. You do. Those of you who are of European descent and you, your, your ancestors fled Europe to, to get away from maniacal monarchs who were torturing people, you carry that in your body. I am the, the grandson of an Irish immigrant who fled Ireland because the world was so rotten over there at that time in the late 1800s. And my grandmother on my dad's side was an Apache woman who was thrown out of her home along with a lot of her relatives because they were Apaches and they were pushed out. It's amazing that this didn't happen that long ago. But I, until epigenetics and I studied it, I didn't understand why do I carry these traumas with me that don't even represent my family of origin. It's like every single one. I carry that. Now listen, 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 listen. This is the gospel. Your DNA is your design. You carry that. But it's not your destiny. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you renew your mind, you renew your body. You're no longer a victim of your ancestors' DNA. This is why the gospel is the hope of the world. We live in a country where people are living out trauma. They're living out, hey, this is just who I am. I'm made the way I am. God made me this way. Sorry. And are the consequences of that really good? Not very good. And the gospel comes along. Jesus comes along and says, I know, I know. You live in a country of Adams. You live in a country of people who had an opportunity to choose God, and they didn't. They chose, and when that sin entered the world, it infected the human race. And now we pass it down. Without an interception of the gospel, we just pass it right on down, don't we? Remember one time when uh, Jordan was just born, our daughter, who's 34 now, she was just born, and she was lying asleep in her little bassinet in a little nursery in little Kentucky where we sort of little church. We were there. It was a wonderful moment. And Sharon and I are standing over. And she looks at me and she goes, Char, what are you thinking? I said, you want to know? She said, yeah. I said, I'm thinking she's so cute. But that is actually a little depraved sinner right there who's going to ruin our lives if we don't do a good job. <laughs> Somehow it ruined the moment when I said that. Somehow it ruined the moment. When there is a truth to that hyperbole. Just leave a kid alone and they get better on their own, don't they? Like, leave a kid alone. Don't discipline them. Don't make them go contrary to how they feel. And 14-year-olds just figure it out on their own, how to be wonderful and peaceful and, and prosper. They just figure it out on their own, don't they? <laughs> and if you ever 14... Yeah, it, 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 we, we know, hey, listen, there's something. Does anybody ever admit there's something wrong with the human race? Can we all agree with that? Just read, watch a news feed for 10 minutes, and you go, something's wrong. Spend this weekend with your relatives, and you go, something's wrong with the human race. And these are, these are my genes. These are my genes. And, and you know, and you know, you know, and you know this is true. We, we know that a baby can be born innocent but addicted to cocaine. How? How does that happen? How does that happen that a baby's innocent but born addicted to cocaine? How does that happen? Her mother was addicted to cocaine. And we serve Bridget's path. Why? Because there are babies in Dayton who were born innocent 
but addicted to cocaine. And that's, Paul says, hi, I'm Adam, I'm Adam. We all carry this genetic predisposition to self-reductionary behavior. We, we, we were made to live in the image and the glory of God, and we will reduce sex to an animal instinct. You want to have sex with someone? Just do it. I mean, because what? It, we're, it's this Plato we're talking about. Your body doesn't matter, and it's reductionary, and it just ruins things like sex that God meant for us to experience in a covenant out of a representation of his glory. We see this all the time. I um, remember when Austin was about three, and uh, John, I was asking you how long you served in South for a kid, because I, I think you were in the room when this happened. But, but I remember one time, Sherry and I come to church and say, I don't think this was John Pfeiffer, but I think it was somebody, some teacher kind of said, hey, Austin got in a fight today in Southbrook Kids, which he was wont to do that. Like he's just, he, he just just want to battle, and uh, he was a boy. And uh, he said, you know, it, 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 we pulled him apart, but when we pulled him apart, that wasn't enough for Austin. He started spitting on the other kid. He just, it was like a, across the breach of separation. He was, he was going to get it. And, and I just, like, where did he get that? behavior. He inherited it from his mother. And that's how, that's how he got that. It just was passed down. He was innocent, but he just, you know, he just said, you can't, you can't really, you can't really punish him because he's innocent, right? And you know, that's not the case. You know that that's a part of the, the whole principle of maturity and growing up is you have to have Adam disciplined out of you, but then you reach the point where you go, is there something better than Adam? gospel says yes. The gospel says there was one who was to come. And, you, you know, Neo slipped into the matrix and the matrix didn't know it. And Maximus slipped in to the gladiator games and the gladiator games didn't know it. And, and, and Mario and Luigi slipped into the dark lands to take over Bowser. And they, I know I said Mario because I said, I said Mario last hour and it really bugged someone. So I just wanted to do it again that I didn't say it the right way. That I, I, I pour my heart out here, people. And Addie Dobson comes up to me and says, you know, you said Mario wrong. So I just wanted to say it again because I'm of Adam still a little bit, you know. I just want to, I just want to do that. I know. So, so, but, but here's the idea is when, when Mario and Luigi slipped into the Badlands, the Badlands didn't know that the people who had entered the Badlands were going to bring the Badlands down. And this is Jesus. Jesus is the pattern of the one to come. Because of Adam's sin, we are not wired as God meant for us to be. We all fall short of the glory of God. We were meant to walk on water. Anybody here walked on water lately? <laughs> you know, we were meant to do that. We don't. Sin weighs us down. You ever seen someone who is who is just beset by anger and resentment, and you literally see it in their face. It weighs them down. Their face takes on this. Like you, like, like you see it. That's sin. That's sin. It, it just, it literally, you see the effects upon our bodies of the weight of sin. And we need grace that infuses us with a new nature. It transforms us by the renewing of our mind. That's why Paul says the gift is not like the trans trespass. If the many died by the trans trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. It's available. This blood transfusion is available to everyone. 
who says, I've tried Adam. I don't want Adam anymore. I don't want to live under the constraints of Adam anymore. I don't want to begin my life after life now. I don't want to wait till I die. I want to begin that now, which is the promise of the gospel. In Christ, we are from eternal ancestry. We were infected by sin, but now in Christ, we are perfected in grace. That does not mean that in this earth, we still don't feel the weight of Adam. We will until that completion and that culmination. We will, but not like we used to. A Christ follower is not sinless, but they'll sin less and less and less, and they'll be affected by the weight of this world less and less until one day perfection comes, and we will all know, even as we are fully known, because why? The genes we have been given are made of eternal, indestructible material, the Jesus genes. That your epigenetic markers are literally affected by Jesus. Now think about that, friends. Literally, your body is affected by your belief in Jesus. Can I get an amen from the congregation on that, right? It's amazing. It's amazing. This gospel is real. In each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. That there's gonna be this culmination where this indestructible, this imperishable meets with the destructible and the, and the perishable. Now look at how he ends. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. This, by inference, is the weight of sin comes most through corrupt systems, corrupt powers, both spiritual and governmental, political powers that are evil. That We, we see this in the Hitlers. And, and the way, look at this, look at this. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The way the first gospel hymn, Philippians chapter 2, puts it is, every knee will bow to him someday. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He's Lord. He's the one. And, and this is powerful. You can bow now or you can bow later. You want life? Bow now. Bow now. If that's what you want. If you want life now, he's the way. He's the way to a new genetic, soulful makeover. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. One day there's going to come a time when nobody's bodies fail them anymore because all the perishable bodies have been transformed in the flash and the twinkling of an eye. I, uh, I, I, what I love about resurrection is how it affects life right now, though. Because you say, you know, a lot of the Platonianism digressed the gospel to, yeah, it's going to be hell on earth, but uh, it's going to all be worth it. We don't really need to change the corrupt political systems because someday Jesus is going to reign over everything. So let's not change everything now. Let's just wait till we all get to heaven. And that's baloney. How many of you know of things that need to be changed right now? Right now. And that's the gospel. The gospel changes things now and later. And so look at this. Look at how this affects how we live. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this doesn't include God himself who put everything under Christ. So God himself is going to turn this over to Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. How many of you long for a new earth where God is all in all? Does anybody long for that? Wouldn't you love to see a world? Because we get glimpses of this. You get glimpses of being at a dinner table, like post-resurrection Jesus with people you love, and everybody's just having 
great community. Like we get glimpses of what heaven's going to be like when we're ourselves, but we're around a table with people that, that aren't our relatives and don't annoy the heck out of us. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 there's, and he says, then there's going to come a day when that's happened. The new heaven and new earth. God is all in all. And then he says, now if there's no resurrection, now, now he goes back to the present. What will those do who are baptized for the dead? Does that raise any questions with people? Is that any, did you, you got, when you read that, is that one of those verses you've read and you go, what the heck does that mean? If, those, if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for the dead? What is that? You know what that is? This is really fascinating. The, the, the best scholars know about this is it was what was called vicarious baptism. It's the same thing we do today with infant baptism. Baptism was so revered, it digressed into being seen as a magic potion. Just add water, and you gotta, and you gotta say, "Person, just add water." Doesn't matter what the posture of their heart is. Just add water, and you have a Christian. Any of you remember? Any of you remember uh, Yakov Smirnov, the Russian comedian, and his whole shtick was, "I came to America, vada country." And he said, he said one day, he goes, "I was in the, I was in the grocery store." And I see it, powdered orange juice, just add water. What a country, he said. And then he said, I saw powdered milk, just add water. What a country, he said. And then I saw it, baby powder. <laughs> what a country, he said, you know. And so the, the, this is where baptism digresses into just add water and you got a Christian. So just, just add water to those babies' butts, and they're Christians. You know, we don't know what's going to happen to them. They can live like hellions, but, uh, uh, but they're saved because they got baptized. Their butt got wet when they were eight days old. You know, that's all about. So this was the opposite. Aunt Harriet was a hellion, but let's get baptized for her just in case. And we can cover her. And that's what that was. It was actually, and an, an really, it's, it's for those of you who say, ah, I know Jesus, I don't need to get baptized. This, this is actually a, ooh, baptism was really important. Is really important. So much so that like a lot of things, they took it too far. As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, which is not really recorded in scripture, we don't know what that means. It probably means people is, is really probably what it means, who can be beast-like sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? With no more than human hopes, what have I gained? Then why would I do this? I always think of Mother Teresa when I read that verse. She was from a wealthy family. She had it all. If Jesus is not resurrected, she was a fool to live her life in Calcutta. Wasn't she? Because you're just wallpaper in the Titanic. It's going to hit an iceberg at any moment. And it doesn't matter if, it, if you made it look better. It's survival of the fittest. Hitler was right if there's no resurrection. If you have power, use it to win. <laughs> Does this make sense to everybody? It's, it's just, this is what he says. So he says, so let us eat, drink, and be married from an hour we die. Why would you be moral? Steal if that's what it takes. Just don't get caught because there's not going to be any accountability eternally. And Hitler was right. And all those who have powered up through history to abuse their, their power, dominion, and authority, they were right. If there is no resurrection. So he says there is. And that's why bad company corrupts good character. He's saying don't let people who aren't where you are in faith, corrupt your belief system, come back to your senses as you ought, stop sinning. Doubt is not a sin, but pervading in, I refuse to see the evidence, that's a sin. For there are some who are ignorant of God. 
I say this to your shame. And he was talking to Christians. He was talking to people who said, I'm a Christian, who, who said, ah, I don't think there's any resurrection. This Jesus thing, he's just a good moral teacher, and that's the value of it. It's a moral system that'll make people, uh, you know, pay their bills and not kick their cat, and that's the value of Christianity. And he goes, no, it's not a moral system. It's the worship of the resurrected one. That's what this is. Who will, who will infuse you with his blood? Does anybody want that? That's the inference in this. Paul said, anybody want that? How many of you feel the effects of Adam? We all do, yeah. I was trying to think of a picture this week. Like, what's, a, what's, what's a picture that if, if I didn't say anything else, which I did, if I didn't say anything else, this picture would, would allow all of us to see really an answer to all those questions. By the way, if there were dragons on earth at one time, they're going to be dragons in the new earth. But I think you'll be able to pet them and ride them and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't have, I know this. I'm riding great white sharks in, in afterlife. That's what I'm doing. I'm swimming. You'll find me in the ocean, okay? You'll find me in the new earth ocean with sharks. That's where you'll find me. So here's a picture. I just love this picture. Um, it's from the Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody ever heard of it by C.S. Lewis? And particularly the book, The Silver Chair. It's toward the end of the story, and the children of Narnia uh, have sent to Narnia, who were sent to Narnia, they're now on Aslan's mountain with him. Aslan is the Christ figure, the lion, the great lion Aslan. And King Caspian has died, shockingly, because even kings die. And even though they've left that sad scene back at the harbor and they've gone up the mountain, I love this brilliant imagery. The funeral music is still somehow playing around them. That's how we live now, don't we? We're with Aslan, but any of you still hear the funeral music? You do. And I pick up. They were walking beside the stream and the lion went before them. And he became so beautiful and the music so despairing that Jill did not know which of them it was that filled her eyes with tears. Then Aslan stopped and the children looked into the stream and there on the golden gravel of the bed of the stream lay King Caspian dead with the waters flowing over him like liquid glass. His long white beard swayed in it like water weed. And all three stood and wept. Even the lion wept. Great lion tears. Each tear more precious than the earth would be if it was a single solid diamond. Son of Adam, said Aslan, go into that thicket and pluck the thorn that you will find there and bring it to me. Eustace obeyed. The thorn was a foot long and sharp as a rapier. Drive it into my paw, son of Adam, said Aslan, holding up his right forepaw and spreading out the great pad toward Eustace. Must I, said Eustace? Yes, said Aslan. We killed Jesus. He took our death, didn't he? Then Eustace set his teeth and drove the thorn into the lion's pad. And there came out a great drop of blood, redder than all the redness that you have ever seen or imagined. 
and it splashed into the stream over the dead body of the king. And at the same moment, the doleful music stopped and the dead king began to be changed. His white beard turned gray and from gray to yellow and got shorter and vanished altogether and his sunken cheeks grew round and fresh, and the wrinkles were smoothed, and his eyes opened, and his eyes and lips both laughed, and suddenly he leapt up and stood before them, a very young man of 61. <laughs> and he rushed to Aslan and flung his arms as far as they would go around the huge neck of the lion, and he gave Aslan the strong kisses of a king, and Aslan the lion gave him the wild kisses of a lion. And you want to know what life after this life is going to be for you who are in him? That's what life after life is going to be like. Anybody want that? It starts now. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father of life, Father of resurrection, the very word Father means point of origin, point of beginning, point of start. Your, your very moniker that Jesus said, when you address him, address him as our beginning, our intimate beginning. We find hope in this amazing gospel that as in Adam all die, so in Christ, the Lion of Judah, all will be made alive. And the water begins flowing over us right now, if that's what we want. And even as our bodies decline, it gives room for our imperishable realities to begin to emerge. And the perishable someday will be cloaked in the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And everybody here today who says, by faith, I'm going to accept that. By faith, I'm going to trust that. The evidence of the resurrection is overwhelming and he's my prototype and that's my trust and I am not a victim of my DNA. It is not my destiny. Jesus is my destiny. And everyone who agrees with that said a loud amen. We'll see you next week, everybody.